Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning. It's a Friday morning. It's time for Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest today, Rusty Leonard and Frank Allen. Rusty, of course, you know, is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, an investment company, and has done a phenomenal job. He has been a frequent guest of ours and continues to give us the update. And we need an update. We need to know why is it that the bull market still has plenty of room to run. That's from the USA Today headlines in the financial section. And it's talking about that we've seen more and more about a just a bull market that seems, I mean, like, wow, what's what's happening? Is it close to, in fact, one of the guys, Merck Investments, uh, Axel Merck says, in a fairy tale world, we will never have to a bear market again. To me, that feels eerily like 2000. So I'm looking forward to hearing what Rusty's got to tell us about some of the things with the with this market, why? And I mean, it's he's got a wealth of knowledge. Does a great job for us. Went to a four day run uh, that is, um, you know, consistently setting new records. And uh, that is, uh, you know, what does that mean? This is the summertime. This is the time when the market doesn't normally reach new highs. So looking forward to hearing what Rusty talks about with us. We've got a lot of things to expect from the market. Some people say a modest, you know, economic and earnings kind of improvements. Uh, you got some people still talking about Brexit. I'm looking forward to hearing his take on Brexit, what's going on with Great Britain, and pulling out of the EU. So a lot of uh, information, but that's the first half of the program. Second half of the program is Frank Allen. We're going to talk about what happens when you're preparing for those things that are unexpected. Things that, you know, you say, well, that's going to happen for the guy next across the street. Well, Frank's going to go through some things that he looks at when he talks to his clients about how they should think through some of the six fundamentals of financial planning and how that really plays into preparing for the unexpected. Two jam-packed types of programs. You and I want to want to miss them because we're going to guide you through the market, what to think about. And then as you look at the overall thought process, it's not just about, you know, asset planning or asset management. It's really about having a financial plan, having some idea of what you're trying to accomplish long term. And if the unexpected occurs, what do you do with that? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. Rusty Lennon in the first half, Frank Allen in the second half. It is going to be a program you don't want to miss. In fact, let me just tell you a couple of things real quick, just to get your kind of thinking. You're looking at some historical lows. The 30-year Treasury bond closed down, closed at 2.10% last Friday. You ready for this? That's the lowest ever for the long bond. Now, that's been going on since 1977. But listen to this. The 10-year Treasury note closed at 1.36 on last Friday. That was last, the lowest closing yield ever in the U.S. 10-year paper number. That number has been going on. We've been counting that number since 1799. Treasury Department gives us that kind of information. Stay with us because it's going to be a jam-packed hour. You do not want to miss Rusty Leonard and definitely not in the second half. Frank Allen. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. Jim Shoemaker and Frank Allen are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. 
The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Well, as I said earlier, Rusty Leonard is our guest today. He's on the phone. He is, of course, the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated, a good friend and someone who's a frequent guest because he brings a wealth of knowledge about what's going on in the market. And Rusty, today in the USA Today, it says in the headlines of the financial section, bull market still has plenty of room to run. Well, it is. For the last four days, we've set new records. So is this is this what's going what's what does this mean? I mean, why are so many investors just now getting into this big bull market? What's you know, what is it that that's happening to us? What, are we are we excited about what we hear or are we just tired of waiting? <laughs> I think there's more of the uh, tired of waiting, uh, Jim, <laughs> and nice to nice to be with you again. Yes, sir. Uh, Good to have you. Yeah, some some have described this as uh being the most hated bull market ever. And what we saw in the most recent months is that most people are selling U.S. stocks. So mutual funds have seen redemptions in U.S. equities over the last many months uh, going on now. And also foreigners have been selling U.S. equities, the data shows. The buyers have primarily been the companies themselves where they're doing share repurchases. They've been the biggest uh, net addition or net buyer of stocks. Uh, the market itself has just hit a new high, but just kind of barely. It's not like everybody's celebrating because it's not – Stock market's not, you know, doing fantastically well this year, and it's been kind of in a flat mode for more than a year, probably a year and a half, you could argue. It's been relatively flat. So it's one of those new highs where you think, well, that's good, but it's not really all that impressive because it's really not up that much. And it's just recently with the kind of the headlines and it's hitting new highs that maybe you're starting to see some people starting to jump in. That might not be the most wise thing to do, given that, uh, you know, you want to buy low and sell high, not the reverse. But uh, but it is kind of the normal way people react. They they hear good news, they hear good headlines, and they uh, they chase chase that. And uh, hopefully that won't come back to haunt them. So you're saying kind of somewhat this is not a soaring market. This is a uh, inching type of market. This you know it's not one of those that you're saying that uh, that you could almost say, well, hey, it soared last week. It's going to soar. So it's it's not something. It's cautiously optimistic with this market. Is that what you're saying? I would say that that's true. Uh, there are some reasons to be excited about uh, where the market's going. Uh, I'm getting some. So, so there's some reasons to be excited about where the market's going. The um, earnings, corporate earnings, the reason that the stock market has been kind of boring and flat and going nowhere and hasn't been in the headlines for the last year and a half or so, has been that corporate earnings haven't been going anywhere. And they've been waylaid by oil prices and the strong dollar, amongst other issues. And uh, so those things are starting to turn. You're starting to see you know, oil prices are now a little bit higher. Uh, the U.S. dollar hasn't been quite as strong. And so the pressure on U.S. corporate earnings is reducing it, so that's that's helping helping the stock market a little bit and helping it uh, you know gain some footing. So it could go on further, but you know there's some other reasons to be concerned. Obviously, uh, we have you know the terrorist events that just keep happening, and one just happened again uh, last week. They tend not to be market moving events at this stage of the game, but one never knows when uh, one will happen that sure. will influence investors and to be uh, sellers rather than buyers. Yeah, you were that's, talking that's about that. Yeah, you're talking about that earnings recession. This uh, again, I think um, 
with the reality, that seems to be playing itself out. I mean, the prediction was by the end of third quarter, that should have played itself out. And now you're telling, saying that lower ore prices and a stronger dollar, which had hurt the U.S. corporate uh, earnings and profits in recent quarters, is beginning because of the higher oil and the dollar seems to be not running so hard. You're saying, and again, I think most people are predicting, by the end of the third quarter, we could have uh, some strong earnings. And you're thinking that will be a positive effect for the market. Yes. Uh, so strong might be overstating it, uh, but certainly not weak, right? Uh, we'll be moving into positive territory after having been in negative territory for, for earnings for you know about six quarters. That's a long time for earnings to be on the decline. Right. Uh, it was that earnings decline, however, was mainly in the uh, oil sector and the manufacturing industries that were affected by lower demand for oil type things, uh, you know, various equipment that are used in oil drilling and such like that. So it was pretty much of a, a, a you know, not just a recession, but a depression in the oil side of the equation. But the rest of the economy was doing, was continuing to grind it out, you know, grow slowly. And earnings in those other areas were also growing slowly. So it was kind of a uh, a weird scenario uh, in that it was very specific uh, to one sector where the earnings were deteriorating. And it, that dragged down the overall corporate earnings. But really, a lot of companies were still showing higher earnings. But again, nothing too exciting, nothing to get it. investors all worked up about how wonderful uh, the stock market was. And therefore, we saw it go sideways for quite a long period of time. Yeah. Let me talk about Brexit. Just within the last month, we've had the European, the European Union has been right on the headlines. The, you know, with the EU and all the things going on there, now you're talking about some negative comp- countries that are paying, you know, the negative bond rates are there. I mean, so let me let me kind of put this in perspective. When you look at the EU, and I want to talk about the Brexit, but when you look at the EU and the number of countries that are paying, you know, that are you know, with declining or issuing a negative yield debt rate, Japan, Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Switzerland, you realize that out of that group of, you know, five, four of those are part of the EU. Um, is is the Brexit exit, is the fact that England's pulled out of the European Union going to really affect that particular market? Or are we going to see that? It doesn't seem like it's making headlines anymore. It doesn't seem like it's even on a blip. But I know you, <laughs> I know a lot of people think that it's, it is going to play itself out. It is a, it is a stir for the EU, when somebody pulls out of the EU, especially Great Britain, I think they're the fifth largest economy in the world, uh, sixth somewhere in that range. And uh, the point is, that's got to have an effect. And yet, it's almost like we're not reporting it in them anymore. It's not even there. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that the the whole Brexit thing was a political event and a trading event, but not a necessarily a big long term economic event. Uh, and here's here's why I say that politically, obviously, it's it's very uh, it's a critical decision that could lead to others doing that in the ultimate collapse of the European Union, uh, so or or at least a semi collapse of the European Union. So if others follow England's lead on this and decide to pull out as well, then uh, that's a that's a big deal politically. Uh, you, you also have uh, it being a trading event. So in other words, it's I don't think it's a big economic event because uh, I think. The economies will adjust. It will happen over such a long period of time that there will be plenty of ways the economies can adjust, the com- companies can adjust. And so I don't think you'll see too many dislocations from an economic standpoint, but you saw big dislocations from a trading standpoint. And if you recall, initially there was uh, the polls were suggesting that the leave would win, the exit, you know, Brexit as it's called, would actually win. Then 
that uh, poor um, member of parliament was shot and killed, and she was in favor of stay, and so the polls started to move uh, back towards the stay side of the equation in sympathy with her, her murder. And that caused a lot of traders to be completely offside. So they had to reverse out of the positions they had, betting on Brexit and go back into something else. So that caused the market to move very dramatically. Then, surprise, surprise, they still voted for Brexit. And all the traders were offside again. So we had all this volatility as these traders were getting whipsawed back and forth by the polls and by which way things were going. And so that created a lot of short-term volatility in the markets and made it seem like Brexit was a much more important economic event than it actually probably will turn out to be. Uh, there were also a lot of politicians out there mouthing off and trying to scare people into staying because it's in their, their best interest to uh, to keep the uh, England in the European Union. So there was a, a lot of you know, false doom being spread. fact remains that if you're a British company and you make you know, widgets and you're the best widget maker of that particular type of widget, you know, people are going to still come and buy your widgets because you do it best. Mm. And uh, it doesn't really matter whether you're part of the EU or, or not. Uh, your customers will find a way to get those great widgets that you're making. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think in the end we're going to see this being a gigantic uh, economic event. I think there will be some sectoral influence, particularly on the financial uh, you know, sector with banks and big brokerage firms that are based out of London may have to reallocate resources around the European Union. But you know, in the end, it will happen slowly, and you know, companies and countries will adapt mm. easily to it. You know, Frank, Frank is one of our guest hosts today with me today. Uh, Rusty, and Frank, you and I were talking about in preparation for the program. We talked about Fed rates and the interest rates, and six, seven years ago, we were saying rates are going to go up, and today we're reporting that we're at all-time lows. Thoughts with that with a client? How do you deal with that with a client? Well, interest rate fluctuation has been really one of the things that a lot of clients are really concerned about and has you know, affected the market uh, quite a bit. And so everybody's saying, well, rates can't go any lower. Yeah. They, they can only go higher. And so we keep waiting for that to happen. Right. And it doesn't seem to happen. Real estate's still doing well. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that are benefiting from low interest rates. But the thought is, how could interest rates go any lower? i got to bet that they're going to go higher. And then they'd still inch a little bit lower and a little bit lower. I was reporting, Rusty, as we were talking. And Fred, I mean, Frank and I were going through this whole process. And the 10-year Treasury note closed last Friday at a all-time low. And, you know, again, it's the lowest average, and it's paid the 10-year paper, and that's been going on since 1790. And Frank and I were saying, how could that be? I mean, you know, here we are six, seven, eight years after the recession. We lowered interest rates to stimulate us out of the recession. We seem to have unemployment now is not an issue, whether it's full employment or whether it's not a full employment or whether people of wages have increased enough that says that's, just, you know, something that's been an impact. We can argue that all day long. But... This consumer optimism is there. The sentiment is pretty reasonable. And rates, we, of course, I guess I looked at inflation today. And inflation is just, you know, still kind of uh, not where we have seen it before. It's well below two and a half and uh, just kind of clicking along. But give me your take on the Fed governors. I mean, and, and these other central bank heads from around the world. I mean, we got negative interest rates in countries I would never dream that we'd be talking about negative interest rates. So help me out. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty bizarre world, an upside-down world we live in. Uh, somebody uh, wrote an article with the headline, There is no impossible anymore in the financial market. Uh, that <laughs> that's, was, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good headline. Happen, right? 
Yeah. yeah, there's no impossible. Anything can happen. And so if you have, for instance, you mentioned Switzerland having negative interest rates. Uh, they had negative interest rates out to 30 years at one point. 30-year Swiss bonds, government yeah. bonds, were trading at negative interest rates. That means you had the privilege, if you bought one of these Swiss bonds, of paying the Swiss government for that privilege of, of giving the Swiss government money to uh, to do what they want with. Over 30 years, yeah. it's insane. And what it all reflects is the massive amount of central bank intervention in the bond markets. They are forcing these interest rates negative in a very unnatural way in order to try to stimulate their economies and to continue to fight this deflationary beast that's been that was unleashed with the Great Recession. Hmm. And you know, this is a long time ago, as you pointed out, two thousand eight, long, long time ago. And here we have you know, pretty much full employment here in the U.S. The U.S. has done much, much better than the rest of the world, and that's why we still have positive interest rates. We can achieve our economic goals, or at least partially achieve them, uh, without going to such extremes. But in Japan and in Europe, they're still fighting a really uh, heavy weight of deflation, and they're trying to keep keep that from occurring because deflation just has so many negative consequences that it's hard for um, economic policymakers to bear. So they are just using every trick in the book to distort the markets. And, you know, there's there's some good parts to that. Obviously, they have been able and have been successful keeping, you know, a, another recession or maybe even something worse than that from uh, occurring. But it's coming at a pretty high cost and a, a very high level of distortion of the financial markets. And so what we saw just in the last week was the bond market hitting a new all-time high simultaneously with the stock market. And I believe that's the first time in history that it's ever happened. Usually when the stock market is hitting a high, the economy is red hot, uh, corporate earnings are soaring, inflation's an issue, and the Federal Reserve is jumping in to raise rates in order to keep that inflation at bay. This time around, we're seeing just the opposite, where the, the economy is not soaring and the stock market isn't soaring. It's you know crawling <laughs> on its hands and knees to a new high. Mm. And uh, corporate earnings aren't flying. And so there's no reason for the Fed to go in and to raise rates. And so we're seeing both uh, a very, 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 probably the first time ever, as I said, uh, circumstance where both the stock market and the bond market are hitting new high. There's, there's, you know, things to be worried about that, of course, uh, that probably can't continue for too much longer. So there, there are consequences that will, and you know, wise investors will think about those and you know contemplate exactly how they want to position themselves going forward. Yeah, I think that's a good point. When you say it's first time ever, those are always things that I have to say, hmm, I'm not sure I like when you say first time ever. Because the last time right. I said first time ever is when the stock and the bond market both dropped in 2008. Right. And that's not supposed to. Cross correlation should be in there somewhere. So, again, first time ever in 2008. Now you're telling me another first time ever. So, again, cautiously optimistic. Frank, you had something about the pound sterling. Right. Uh, Rusty, you were talking before about Brexit. And I was just wondering, you know, what do you see as the impact for those who are involved in, like, currency trading and currency exchange rates? That was the biggest trading impact of all. Uh, if you looked at – I can still uh, – I was traveling that the night that this all – the vote took place, and I was watching on my cell phone as I was in the yeah. car, the value of the pound just collapsing. And it was the biggest move ever, big old, biggest single-day move ever for the pound, even bigger than, you know, and during the, the crisis with Lehman Brothers and all that. So it was uh, quite a, an impressive display of uh, trading looniness. And uh, there were a lot of people that were positioned wrong, and they had to get positioned, you know, get their positions squared up very quickly. And so you, you saw that uh, trade off. I, I would expect the pound to remain kind of weak, 
but uh, probably not as weak as many people are thinking. I think it's probably uh, the scare tactics, and uh, you know, people have believed some of these. Um, you know, all this terrible stuff is going to happen as a result of Britain leaving the EU. Again, it's going to be a very gradual process. Uh, who knows if it will even happen? There's still possibilities that it may not even happen. I think it will happen, but there's still some risk that it won't happen. It's going to take years and years and years for everything to be unwound, and it's just not going to be something that's um, chaotic and uh, and merely disturbing to the markets in the end. That's, that, that's my view. Rusty, I'm sure that you shorted the British pound, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Can't ask that question. Yeah. Okay, never mind. No question. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. But if you just tuned in, my guest is Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council. And, of course, Joe uh, Frank Allen. i got Joe Allen on my mind, Frank. I apologize. Uh, I just called him on the phone for reason. So. But Frank Allen is my other guest, and we're talking with Rusty about the market. When I come back, we're going to talk literally about European banks and what's the issue so stay with us rusty leonard frank allen we'll be back right after this Neither Securian Financial Services Incorporated, nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with rusty leonard or stewardship partners investment council incorporated this material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the listener as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Rusty Leonard and Frank Allen. And Rusty, what I want to go to is this European, but we've had so much concern about the banks in Europe. I mean, it, every bank we think about, there's got, they've been in the headlines. So, and particularly recently, the Italian banks are, you know, in trouble. So, in your opinion, give me your thoughts. Are we still concerned about the overall European banking system, or can we move past that? The status, your thoughts. Uh, say that the U.S. banking system has done a much better job of getting its act together and it's in pretty sound shape for the moment. However, all that could be undone by problems if uh, problems really do explode on the European banking front. And while we were making a lot of progress here in the U.S., the, the Europeans have made no progress. And so it's uh, one of the leading indicators that we focus on is what the markets are telling us about banks. Because with banks, you can't really know uh, what's on their balance sheet and where the troubled loans are most of the time. They're usually worse than they tell you. And, uh, and what they're telling us, and particularly in Italy, is that they're getting much worse than anybody would expect. We all know the Greek banks are in hideous shape, and the uh, Italian banks are about, about half as bad as the uh, Greek banks are right now in terms of bad loans. Uh, they're up to over 15% of the total loan book is bad. Mm. And so there's a need for a bailout. In Italy, and Italy is a huge economy. It's, it's, you may recall when Greece was going going bad, and uh, places like Portugal were having trouble in their banking system. We all said, well, you know, they're not that important because they're so small, and it's just really a small amount. Even if they do go under, no big deal. You know, it can be handled. But Italy is not small. Italy is huge, and so if Italy's banking system suddenly uh, hits the skids, we've got problems throughout Europe again. 
And so it's hitting the skids. And it's a really kind of a, for, for whatever reason, it's uh, not getting as many headlines as it deserves. Yesterday, one of the Fed governors in the U.S. came out and said that they're very concerned about the Italian banking system. And then you go beyond the, the Italian banking system, and you end up uh, looking at the German banking system, particularly Deutsche Bank. And its stock price is also telling you that it's in big trouble. The European stocks generally, bank stocks, have not recovered since 2008. They're down about 80%. And they kind of went down during the the Great Recession, and then they never went back up. And they've been flatlining it, you know, for the most part ever since. And now they're heading back down again. Deutsche Bank is down over fifty percent, or was at one point down over fifty percent, not you know last week, um, from its high, you know, from the starting point just this year. That's not what you want to see from a, from a bank stock, and you don't want to see its share price go into single digits, which Deutsche Bank is threatening to do right now. So there's some real concern about what may be brewing again on the European banking front. And we may yet again be talking about their banking system and the threats of contagion to the rest of the world and yeah. throughout the financial markets. Well, you talk about the rest of the world. Let me Give me some insight into to asset classes in the rest of the world. What are you seeing that at this point, and you know, from the 30,000-foot view, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly? Where where should we, you know, be looking? I mean, is there, a, is there some nice places to look for things, sunny sunshine somewhere, or is it all doom and gloom worldwide? It's not, it's not all doom and gloom, thankfully. As I mentioned, the U.S. is, you know, we should be proud of our country despite some of the distortions and crazy things that have had to happen to get us to this place. But our banking system is sound. Our economy is doing much better, not doing great, but much better than the rest of the world. We've, On a relative basis, we've way outperformed the rest of the world. And so the U.S. has done very well. But the problem now is, is that that's reflected in the prices of stocks and bonds here in the U.S. Because we've done well, we've seen, uh, you know, Stocks, again, on a relative basis, perform much better than elsewhere in the world, and particularly Europe and the emerging markets. Now, in the emerging markets, you've got the overhang of China and Brazil, where they've been having some serious uh, issues. And then, of course, in the uh, foreign markets, the developed foreign markets, Japan and, and Europe primarily, both of those places have some really difficult deflationary problems that they're struggling with and with the negative interest rates that we've talked about, trying to spur their economy on and you know, it's not really working all that well. And now you have banking system issues in, in Europe again. So there are there are great concerns from a fundamental perspective. Now, you know from talking to me in the past, one of my uh, favorite things is one of the best thing I learned from working with uh, you know, legendary investor Sir John Templeton was you buy at the point of maximum pessimism. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so we're not at a point of maximum pessimism here in the U.S. You know, we're, we're closer. We're not, I wouldn't say we're at a point of maximum optimism either, but we're certainly much more optimistic with the markets hitting new highs. But if you look at the emerging markets, they probably hit their low point not that long ago. And uh, and they did terrible for years, and now they, the turn may have already occurred. And frankly, the cheapest in terms of strict valuation analysis, emerging market stock stocks are the cheapest out there right now. Again, riskier, much riskier, but uh, certainly where you're going to find the greatest value. And then European and Japanese, not so much Japanese shares, but European shares, you're also going to find some pretty good values there if you can take the long-term perspective. But in the short run, you know, we still have these other issues kind of looming over those cheaper markets, and they're cheap for a reason, because those concerns are there. And we may not have reached the point of maximum pessimism in either the emerging markets or certainly Europe. We may have in the emerging markets. We may not have reached it in Europe yet.
Well, I like what you said, long-term. And so, again, I think it's giving everybody a chance to say, I stay long-term, I stay thinking. I like the fact that you say the the idea of something being, you know, that that optimism being there, maybe look at that from that standpoint. I have to ask you a question. We've just got a few minutes left, but, okay, it's election. Is, <laughs> is it What's going to be, in your opinion, regardless of which candidate, it's just, you know, whether it's Mrs. Clinton, Mr. Mrs. Clinton, or Mr. Mrs. Clinton, <laughs> Did I, I might have been a slip, actually. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it might have been. Or is it, you know, Mr. Donald Trump? But regardless, what do you think the impact's going to be on the market? Probably not too great. Uh, like the, like I said earlier, this is the most hated uh, bull market ever. It may also, this may be the most hated election ever. Uh, it is certainly the most hated election ever. Nobody's really, I shouldn't say nobody, very few people are very uh, optimistic about uh, the two candidates and the choice that we have this time around. And so uh, it's that's unfortunate. But in general, the market um, recognizes that the political politics of the situation generally don't have that big of an impact on corporate earnings. And uh, so they kind of Ignore that. Uh, interestingly enough, during this is the season typically when uh, stocks do poorly in the summer. You know, it's all man go away is what you've heard before. So right. during the summertime, people are on vacation or whatever, not paying attention to the market, they're not buying, and you know, just not as active in the market. The market kind of doesn't do as well. The statistics show that over a long period of time. You know, uh, that August and September in particular are the worst months. But in an election year, uh, that that is not always the case, and typically. What the market is most concerned about is uncertainty. And if, so if the election, if we're going into the election, we don't know who's going to win, uh, that uncertainty is disturbing to the market. But as we get closer to the election, it oftentimes becomes clearer who's going to win. And as the uncertainty goes down, the market calms down because they, they don't really care. The stock market and the financial you know, business doesn't really care who wins. Uh, I shouldn't say they don't care. They, they do care, but they, they can adjust to whoever wins. No matter what happens, they will adapt, and they just want to know what the rules are. So they want to know who's going to win, and the sooner the markets figure out who's going to win, the better the markets typically will do. That's and then post-election, the markets almost always do well. So that's another thing to keep in mind because, again, it's uh, something that was unsettled and then settled, and you know the markets can adapt as needed, and so they kind of the uncertainty goes down. Stock prices tend to go higher. That's reassuring, and I think you've got the historical data that you could back that up. That's a good part about yep. that. If you've been listening to the program, you've been listening to Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, a frequent guest of ours because he always gives us great insight into what goes on in the economy and the market. Rusty, thank you so much again for a great program. Thank you, and have a great weekend, my man. And you as well. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Uh, you know, we're going to come back with Frank Allen in a few seconds. We're going to talk about kind of how do you handle repairing for the unexpected. Before we do that, we're going to listen to Rebecca Brazier, and she's going to talk with us about the history, you know, the history, Mid-South History Moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan, and you are under no obligation to follow them. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money. We'll return right after this. 
This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the listener as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're going to be talking with Frank Allen, at Shoemaker Financial Advisor, certified financial planner, senior advisor at Shoemaker, and uh, one that is very dedicated to his clients and really does a very, very good job. In fact, if you'd like to talk to Frank and like to give him a call, 757-5757, ask for Frank, you might might get him. What would be better to ask for Kathy, maybe? Kathy's always there. Kathy's going to probably handle it quicker, isn't she? No, Frank does a great job, but Kathy is his assistant, and uh, they are a great team and do, do an outstanding job working together. Frank, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciated the comments, too, when we were going through with Rusty and uh, the ideas that we thought. Not to comment on whether or not he should do something short or whatever, but that was good. That, was, that, that set me up, woke me up, by the way. <laughs> That's great. You know, when we talk about preparing for the unexpected, that's a great subject because everybody knows they should do that. The problem is it's not going to be something I'm going to do today because there's a certain word called procrastination. It's going to happen to the guy across the street, down the street. It's going to happen to the guy at work, but it's not going to happen to me. I've got plenty of time to prepare that. But people think that a financial plan is just about investing, just about some rate of return, just about maybe buying insurance, but it's a lot more than that. And when you talk to people, you talk first and foremost about the financial plan. Why? I really do. Uh, when they come in, people come in and we begin talking. And a lot of times, uh, most of the people that I work with are already doing a lot of really good things financially. In fact, I had an email this, this week from a prospect that I've been talking to doing a lot of really good things financially. But when I ask them the question, well, are you on track to achieve your goals? then, uh, you know, you don't get a quick answer. Is that because maybe they they think, but they're not sure? Or? Well, I think sometimes they haven't really taken the time to develop the goals. I think they've just focused on, well, I need to put money into my 401k, or I need to have life insurance, or I need to do whatever, but they haven't really thought to what end. You uh-huh. know, in other words, they want to do the right thing. They want to be good stewards with what God's given them, but they but they haven't really thought about the end game of that. And well, what am I working towards? So when you encourage your clients to have a financial plan, what, what are you talking about? What are you going through? Well, there's six, six areas of your life that really, you know, you deal with. The financial life. That's right, the financial life. And so it's your current financial position. That means what you own, what you owe, things like that. Protection planning, meaning, you know, what would, what would, uh, what would your situation look like if something significant were to happen that was not planned, a ca- catastrophic So whether it's a threat. fire, you know, which we've been through at the office, or, yes. or a car accident, or a death, or a Loss disability, of a all of those insurances that you need to, that's what you're talking that's about. That's right. And then the, the area that most people think about as a financial plan is the investment planning. They always want to make the best rate of return they can on their investments, and they consider that, quote, the plan. The plan. Okay, but it's really not. It's a piece of the plan and a very important piece. But they also need to look at tax planning and make sure they're d- making, uh, you know, some good tax decisions with regard to their planning. And then uh, retirement planning, which is a, a really big piece, not only to get there, but then, well, what happens when I get there? How do I take my income from what sources, et cetera? And then lastly, estate planning to make sure you have all the documents in order 
Um, you know, so that you, you know, again, if something unexpected were to happen and you weren't here tomorrow, then uh, you've clearly communicated to other people who are left behind what you want to have happen. So when you're going through this process, it's not just working on one or two. And, and a lot of times, as you say this, I'm thinking clients have a tendency to say, well, my top priority is this. Let's use the word investment planning. We agree with that. We can work with that. But it's helping them put all the cards on the table so that maybe maybe retirement planning is number two or maybe a risk planning is number six. But it needs to be in there somewhere because risk planning can be long term care. It can risk planning can create a terrible problem if you haven't done it with all the other things. Well, that's correct. I mean, when people come in, uh, you know, theoretically, there could be. If six people come in in a given week or, or day or whatever, there could be six different goals in terms of just retirement plan. Well, I want to retire at 55. Well, I want to retire at 70. Well, I want to retire when I can start taking social. So it's not just a matter of earning a good rate of return on your investment, but it, it's got to it's gotta match what you want to happen with regard to when you want to walk out the door and say, I've done my job and I'm, now I'm ready to retire. And if you just turned in, I'm talking with Frank Allen. If you'd like to talk to Frank personally, give him a call, 757-5757. Very dedicated to his clients, certified financial planner, senior planner with the firm. And he is focused on the financial plan to help you walk through this process of keeping you on track to achieve your financial goals. And, Frank, I know that the thought being something that can alternate, can alternate, call to the plan, significantly alter the plan. You've had some experiences in your life that that's occurred. So can you give me some of those and let's let our listeners walk through that process with you and from a personal perspective? Sure. Thank you. I'll be happy to. You know, back in the year 2000, I had been working with FedEx for a number of years at that time, 16 years, 17 years and uh, had had a change in, in job, you know, um, which was major for me. Um, my kids were in college and, uh, of course, paying college bills and things like that. And uh, But I had a significant uh, change in my life in that uh, a company that I had been at for 17 years, uh, I now left that company and began basically starting, not basically, I was starting a new career. Yeah. I went from a corporate finance position, sales planning, different f functions and management at a very large company, very well respected. I, I love FedEx still to this day, um, but then went to a, uh, came to Shoemaker, right. small company, totally changing my perspective in terms of okay, I now want to do personal financial planning. I want to be really active in helping clients achieve their goals and being involved in their lives, making a difference for them personally. So that was probably the the, the first really significant event in my life that, uh, other than. You know, my kids being born and getting married and those kind of things. Those uh, are significant, but <laughs> this are. is, and you do planning for that. You know, mm -hmm. having kids and, and marriage and, and college and all those things. You plan for that, but the significance of a job change can turn you on your heels. It was not something that I had, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about and planning for until that last year or so. And I, I knew that the, the change was going to be, you know, imminent here soon, you know, and so I began planning late. But that was not part of my plan. Right, right. And so that's a change. That's something that can alter a person's plan. And I think the, the thought that I remember is we thought we actually worked together to work through some type of a plan for you to help make that change more more workable, you might say. Absolutely. You know, going from salary environment to, you know, commission, fee-based, fee yeah. you know, environment, totally different uh, business didn't come to me. I had to go right. and say, right. okay, I'm, I'm hanging my shingle here and I'd love to do business with, with people who trust me. And so it was a, 
it was a very significant change in my life, not only from a standpoint of income, but from a standpoint of mindset. Well, you had to, you know, you had to get registered in this profession. You had to take a lot, a lot of tests. A lot of licensing. You, you, you've got a CPA. You, you have your your CPA in the in your background, but you had to become a certified financial planner, and that was. Uh, a change. I mean, you, you were all of a sudden back into the books. and uh, Well, that was 100% of what I had to focus on during the initial stages of the change was how do I prepare myself to be successful in this new field? And so that was my Series 7, my 66, my life and health. And, you know, it was a lot of studying. And for, for an old fellow like me at 49 <laughs> at the time, you know, that didn't come easy. Yeah, that does. But it was very a very dedicated thing that I, I, ch- I just said, I have to. I have no, um, no I, I can't leave any room for failure here. I've got to really study and buckle down and pass these tests. And I, and I did, you know, thank the Lord and uh, uh, really enjoy what I do. Well, you mentioned the Lord. God has blessed you. Your practice has grown significantly. You've got a very, very successful practice. And so... That's you made that change. That right. change took place. It was, a, and you, you. So you're talking to someone. And here we are. We said, okay, you need to do a financial plan. You went through those six things. Everything from, you know, the the whole idea of knowing your current financial position, knowing your balance sheet, mm-hmm. something that we would take for granted that everybody would know. And some people just don't have a clue. They just don't think about it until somebody requires it. And in a in a idea of a plan, you're saying, let's know where you are starting from. And that was the first part. And then you went go you go from protection to investment to tax planning, retirement planning, estate planning, all this you're getting around, and that's kind of your dedication today with a client. You've managed through one unexpected change, but there's been another one in your life. Right. After I had, I came over to Shoemaker in two thousand one and so um in two thousand six, uh, my wife was diagnosed with brain cancer. And um that was the same year that my dad had passed away. Mm-hmm. And so those were two very significant things. And my wife passed away in July of 07, um, you know, nine years ago, you know, this month. And so that was something that I didn't have in my plan, you know. And uh, so, you know, but God has been good to me, it, but it did significantly alter my plan. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that you, you know, you try to at least think about at some point in time in terms of the planning to say, well, what if I were to pass or what if my wife were to pass or what if, you know, I were to become disabled or different things like that. It's part of the reason that you do a plan. And uh, I'll I'll use an example of a a recent client uh, conversation. They called me about a month ago and said, look, I have some extra money. I just want to figure out where I should put it because I feel like I'm not, I don't just need to leave it in the bank. Well, that conversation turned from an investment planning conversation to a full-blown plan, mm. and they told me after the process it was eye-opening, it was enlightening, it put, brought them together because they didn't know what their goals were, they didn't know what their surplus was. The wife thought there was a certain amount of surplus, and the husband didn't think there was a surplus, but that whole process brought them together, and it was very beneficial for them to see see that the whole situation, the whole plan in a different light. Did that open? That's opening up a line of communication. Did it? Absolutely, absolutely. Do you see your your career, your job? Let's say with a client, your responsibility to do just that to get people to start thinking about things. That like is, that? and that's one of the reasons that I always prefer to have both husband and wife in the meetings mm. where we're talking about a plan because I, sometimes the wife has a different uh, set of priorities than the husband, and that's part of my job is to help them figure out, well, what, what do you want the plan you to You know, reflect? one thing that makes our career exciting is not only do we work in the numbers and the finances, in the weeds with clients, sometimes helping them understand the weeds, 
But we become marriage counselors. We do. I mean, uh, you know, whether they like it or not, sometimes we are having to pe- get people to talk about this because maybe they don't like to talk about it. And our job is to kind of guide them through that process. Well, and sometimes grief counselors. Yeah, grief counselors. And no. sometimes more than we like to do that, but that yes. is a part of it. But it is a, it's an altruistic type of career. It's not one that it's just about the numbers, just about the returns. It is about the client. It's about people and their emotions and the things that they're trying to accomplish. And you want to help them in any way possible. Well, I know you think about that when you say helping people. Anything else you want to share as far as things that a client needs to be sensitive to? Well, um, you know, I just think it it's at least uh, helpful to give thought to and consideration to, do you need a professional to come in and help you kind of finish uh, what you've started, you know, or help you finish what you've started? Because there are just a lot of things that a lot of people don't think about because they're focusing on you know, building their assets. They don't think as much about, well, what am I going to spend in retirement? Mm. You know, how much is enough? You know, do I, when do I change from funding this goal to funding this goal? Because this goal, let's say college maybe is way underfunded. So you're just trying to help them prioritize things and bring it together. And I've told people, my clients, that I can be a lot more effective for them as a planner than as just an investment manager. That's a great way of putting it. If you just tuned in, my guest is Frank Allen. Frank, I want to say this. You do that as well as anybody, and I appreciate that. If you'd like to talk to Frank, the telephone number, 757-5757. Thank you, sir, for being with me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, you always do a good job, and I appreciate that. Rusty Leonard, of course, is uh, the CFO and founder of CEO and CEO of Stewardship Partners with our first guest, Frank's the second. Our producer and board. Board operator is John McCommon. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovich. And, of course, Mid-South History Moment is read by Rebecca Razor and written by Drew Johnson. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and we are so glad you were with us today. We've covered a lot of great topics from the economy all the way down to understanding what a financial plan in unexpected issues. That was the important thing for you today. We'll be here next week, every week on Friday, Talk Money, helping you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker and Frank Allen are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.